All right, we are going to be continuing our series called Reckless Love through the study of Ruth. Get your Bibles out, your phones, whatever you use to take notes and follow along and read along. We're going to pray and get into this tonight. God, we thank you so much that you, even though while we were still sinners, you died for us. You took our place. You took our sin. You, you rose from the dead so that we could have life. And tonight, we just thank you so much that you're in this place. We can feel your presence. And right now, we, we invite you into the places of our life and the places of our hearts that maybe we've kept off limits. Uh, and I just pray right now that there would be a supernatural freedom that would be over this place tonight. Lord, let there be something that would rise up in each and every person here that, that maybe wasn't there before, maybe is in seed form, but we just call it forth right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Tonight, uh, we are going to be continuing this story of Ruth, and don't have time to re-preach it all, but you can follow along or catch back up through the other uh, messages online. Uh, th this story starts to take almost a scandalous turn, <laughs> because we know that Ruth uh, had left her homeland to go back to Naomi's homeland. She'd left everything, and she had come into the field of this guy named Boaz, and Boaz showed her extreme favor and, and was, uh, as we saw last week, uh, you know, giving her extreme favor and blessing. And he's a type of Christ in this story. But something happens here when uh, they had been uh, winnowing the grain or, or uh, taking care of the, the harvest. And they, what they would do is they would throw it up in the air and let, let the chaff fall on one side and the, the grain fall on one side. And, and so this was such an important process that as they would come to the cool of the day when the breeze would start to come and start to, to you know, kind of take away the heat of the day, this was such an important job that the landowner generally would be the one who would guard the harvest. And so he would stay with the harvest at night. And so that's exactly what we find Boaz doing. And Boaz is the landowner and he is getting ready to guard it all night. He's going to stay there all night. And Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, gives her this advice, gives her this instruction, uh, go down to where he's at and go sneak in and, and go lay at his feet. And so this is kind of an interesting twist in the story in Ruth chapter 3, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, how do you guys know this is kind of, this would get the neighbors to talk just a little bit, right? If they had found out about this. And she came in softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now she quietly slips in and out before morning, or slips out at morning to not be seen by anyone. How many of you guys know this was an extremely bold move, right? This was extremely bold. And this was bold because they were in a courtship culture where really this should have happened in a, normally this would happen in a different way in a courtship culture. Uh, men pursued the women. Uh, women were a lot of times even given in marriage. The father in the, the life would, would really have a role of protecting his girl, like he would be like cleaning the gun when the guy came over sort of thing. Have you guys know? That still should be a thing, right? That should, that should be a thing. And, uh, and so that was kind of how it happened. So she took an enormous risk 
crossing enormous risk of faith, crossing even what seemed like cultural lines because here she's younger and he's older. Uh, She's the servant. He's her boss, essentially. She's a Moabite. He's an Israelite. Uh, She is poor. He is rich. And in that culture, she's a woman and he's a man. And that just really was everything was opposite of the way it would normally be done. This was a bold move. This was almost a scandalous move. And that's why Boaz says, why don't you slip out of here before anybody else sees you? Because I don't want anybody else to know that you were here. But tomorrow I'll take care of this. Now, what was going on? Here's what was going on. Ruth was basically asking Boaz to marry her. That's essentially what was going on. She was asking him to perform the kinsman redeemer rites, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks. But here's a spiritual truth here that I want us all to wrap our hearts and minds around, and it's this. We can choose to get by, or we can choose to be bold. Let's just let that sink in just a little bit. We can choose to get by, or we can choose to be bold. Now, Ruth could have chose to get by. Her needs were being met. She was able to glean in the field. In fact, Boaz was taking care of her by having his workers drop extra bundles of grain. She could have chose to get by and even lived a good life. Instead, she chose to be bold. And instead of just getting by, she chose to be bold. Now, here's another uh, thing that we have to wrap our minds around. How you approach something reveals what you believe it's capable of. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Um, the, the, I think it was the very first time I went deer hunting. How many of you guys have ever been hunting before, deer hunting? All right, a handful of several of you guys. All right, so I'd never done this before. I didn't know this was a few years ago. And so I'm up in a deer a tree stand, and I'm looking for this deer. And so I, I, there, along came the biggest little deer you'd ever seen in your life. <laughs> and... Uh, so I, I, I took a shot at it, and it took off into the woods. And so I got down. It's like, I've got to go find this deer. And so I'm down in this, imagine this brush. It's like there's trees, but there's also a lot of tall brush. And again, I've never been deer hunting before. And so I'm out there with my gun, and I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if this thing is going to attack me if I come across it. I don't know if it's, I mean, my adrenaline was pumping. I didn't know. You would have thought, I mean, I mean you would have thought I was, I, was, I was hunting a dragon or something like that. I mean, it was like I was, I didn't know what was going to happen. Long story short, I never found the deer at all. So it just, I, I missed the shot. Let's just say that. I'll just own that. Uh, but I, the spiritual truth there is how you approach something is what you believe it's capable of. Now, let's take this over into our relationship with God. And here's where I really want to drill down. Point number one is this. How you approach God reveals what you believe he's capable of. How you approach God reveals what you believe he is capable of. If you are are timidly approaching God, basically what you're saying is, he probably doesn't want to do very much in my life. Or my situation. You have an underlying belief, if you're timidly approaching God, that God may not be so interested in me and I've got to walk on eggshells with God. Let me say it even in a more important way. If you are timid with God, you will never learn to walk in friendship with God. Because if we're always timid with God, how many of you guys know there's no friendship to be had there? How you approach God 
reveals what you think he's capable of in your life. If you are timid with God, you're not going to walk around God with very much confidence. And so how we approach God reveals what we believe he's capable of. Now, Ruth approached Boaz in a very bold way because she believed that he was capable of redeeming her. If she had approached timidly or not at all, then she may not have demonstrated that she had faith that he was able to do what she was asking him to do. But she approached boldly because she believed that he was capable of how she approached him. Is anybody following me tonight? So how we approach God reveals what we believe he is capable of. Now, if you've wondered how you're supposed to approach God, are you supposed to be humble before God? Yes, but humility and timidity are not the same thing. And let me tell you, you can approach God boldly and humbly at the same time. But don't think that humility requires that you never act bold before God. In fact, if we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, some of us read that scripture and we say, Great, I'm going to come before God boldly. But when I sin, I'm going to come before God timidly because I've got to get myself low before God. Do you realize what this scripture is saying? It's saying, When you're in trouble... When you need grace, how are you to approach God? Boldly approach God when you have a time of need. When you found yourself in a sin. When you found yourself falling off where you should be. When you find yourself in trouble in a time of need, what are you supposed to do? Approach God with boldness and confidence. Because how you approach God reveals what you believe he's capable of. If you approach God timidly in those situations, you don't, you're really communicating to God, I don't know if you're going to do this or not. I don't know if you're a forgiver. I don't know if you're a healer. I don't know if, you're a, if you can really show grace towards me. But we've got to do something that demonstrates our boldness before God, and we come before him boldly. Now, we're going to do something right now that's, that's different. I'm going to do it to kind of interrupt our normal, normal flow. And what we're going to do, and I'm going to have the worship team come back up at this point, is we are going to receive communion right here in the middle of the service. And the reason I want to do that is because I want you right now, even right where you're sitting, to kind of get a heart of boldness right now on the inside. And I want you to think about whatever situation you're going through, whatever thing that you've been timid to ask God for, or whatever uh, thing in your life that you've kind of been waiting and like, I don't know if God could do this for me. He's done this for others. Or I don't know, I'm stuck in this sin. I don't know if I can come to to the table boldly. And what I want you to do is get your, your, come boldly with your dream. Come boldly with your need for grace. Come boldly in your patient waiting. If you find yourself in a situation that you feel like, I'm just in a waiting period, come boldly. Don't just sit back. But I, I want you to come with a posture of boldness before God. And, and for some of us, that means we're going to have to repent of our timidity before God. It means we're going to have to repent of the way we've approached God Because when we approach timidly, what we're doing is we're saying, we're we're acting like we're not God's kids. Because how many of you guys know, my my daughter who's on the front row here, she can come up to me anytime and she'll come up and give me a hug and she can come up and interrupt what I'm doing because she's just one of my kids and she comes boldly. She doesn't like come up to dad and just wonder if if I'm going to like her today. And yet that's some of how we come to God. And so would you guys stand up with me and 
I'm going to pray and we're going to come to the table. There's tables in back and tables in front. And right now with your eyes closed, just, just imagine yourself boldly before the throne of grace. Just imagine you're holding that dream that God's placed in your heart boldly. That thing that God's put on your heart boldly. That, that, that no matter what you've done, you stand in boldness right now. And when you come before God, you come confidently before God. In fact, when you've been given the righteousness of God, the gift of right standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's a gift of Jesus' righteousness, not your own righteousness. So that when you come before God, there's not one person on the planet who's ahead of you or better than you. Because it's the gift of his righteousness. So that when God the Father sees you, he sees you through the lens of of the sun. And I know we've got all of our stuff to worry, and I know we've got to be obedient. We'll talk about all of that stuff, but I want you to understand that it's not your righteousness that gets you to stand confidently. It's his righteousness that gets you to stand confidently before the throne of grace. And so God, as we come before your table, and we're so thankful for the blood that was spilled for us that we represent with the juice that we receive and the body that was broken for us, that you took our place, you took our sin, you gave us your right standing with the Father so that when, as you rose from the dead and the temple curtain was torn, we now have access to the Father. We don't have to go through the curtain of works. We don't have to go through the the curtain of self-help, but we have access because we've gone through the door of Jesus Christ. And so today we come boldly. We come confidently And if those of us who are in need, we come confident with our need before Jesus. We don't come in timidity. Those of us who have found ourselves mired in sin, we don't come just just believing that God's going to hit us over the head as we come. No, we come boldly because we trust that he's capable to forgive and his grace is more than enough. We come confidently and boldly because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he does what he says he does. And so today we thank you that you rose from the dead. And that you give us life in Jesus' name. We're going to come to the tables and then take it back to your seat. And during this next song, just receive communion. Take a moment with God. Be bold in your prayer. Be bold in your desires. Be bold in your conversation. Be bold with whatever God lays on your heart. Don't be afraid to share that. Amen. Let's do it. Let's come to the table. Amen. So we can choose to get by or we can choose to be bold. And I wanted to set that up for us because I believe God is calling many of us to be bold, to be bolder than what we've been. And in order to do that, to do what God has called us to do, we first have to establish our boldness before God. Because it doesn't matter how bold you can be before men if you can't have your boldness anchored in Christ. Amen? Because it doesn't make his one time, at some point, if you don't have your boldness and your roots anchored in Christ, you'll eventually be swayed by the opinions of men. And so we can choose to be bold or we can choose, or choose to get by or we can choose to be bold. Now, how many of you guys believe that maybe there's a little area in your life where you could be a little bolder than what you've been? I think we're probably all there in some area of our life. We see this. Let's continue the story. Go back, actually rewind the tape just a little bit in verse 1. See, then, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, she's given her these instructions to go do what we just saw. My daughter, 
Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. What is Naomi doing right here? She's playing matchmaker. That's what she's doing. How many of you guys have somebody like that in your life who played that in your life? Anybody just go ahead and own it. How many of you guys are the type of person that you're doing that for somebody else right now? Okay, got somebody over here. All right, so if you want to get married, to talk to her right over here. She's got the connections, okay? But Naomi says, okay, make yourself look really good. Take off these, you know, garments over here and put on these, you know, put on your best garments and make yourself look good and go down there and and you're going to do some sweet talking. That's basically what's going on. But I want you to understand something very important that happened in this story. Naomi said one key word here, and she said, uh, let me see if I can find it. She says, oh, I know what the word is. She says, winnowing barley tonight. Everybody say tonight. There was a specific time. And as God puts things on your heart that you know you're supposed to step out in boldness, whether it's in your relationship with him or something God's called you to do or or something he wants you to do for other people, here's point number two tonight. And it's this, there's usually a window of opportunity to act boldly. This is where a lot of us get messed up because we think that God wants us to do something in this area and God prompts us to do something in this area and then we kind of make excuses for why we can't do that tonight. I mean, Ruth could have said, okay, but Naomi, I'm going to, I've got this already planned. I'm going to binge watch on Netflix tonight. I've already got it planned out. I know exactly what the show is and I'm just going to binge. She could have done whatever and made all these excuses and say why it couldn't be tonight. And I, and, and I want you to understand, she just said, whatever you say, I'll do and I'll do it all. Now, we've got to understand that some of us are frustrated because we want to act boldly. We want to take steps towards God. But honestly, some of us are doing the right thing at the wrong time. And others of us are doing the wrong thing at the right time. And uh, I remember this from a leadership book I read a long time ago from John Maxwell. And he puts, let me put this up on the screen to kind of help you out with it. But he says this, wrong action at the wrong time equals disaster. I mean, you got two wrongs there. Wrong thing at the wrong time, you're going to have a disaster on your hands. Uh, If you have the right action, but it's the wrong time, There's going to be resistance. How many of you guys have ever felt resistance to something you're doing? You're like, I'm doing the right thing. Why is there resistance? Why is there a problem? Why do I feel pushback? I'm doing what's right. But we haven't discerned the time. Then we have the wrong action at the right time. This is a mistake. How many of you guys have been here before, right? We've all made those mistakes, okay? And then finally, the right action at the right time equals success. And so this is so true that there's usually a window of opportunity for the specific things that God wants us to act boldly in. I heard this quote this week, and it said this, opportunities of a lifetime have to be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. You see, there's usually a shelf life to what God wants you to do in a certain specific area. 
And so many times God releases us to do something and gives us a window to do something, gives us an opportunity to do something, but that opportunity has a, it has a lifespan to it. And so we just think it will be there forever. And so many times our moments have passed us by and we say, but God gave me that word back there and he gave me this thing to do back here and he gave me this opportunity back here, but we let it blow right past us. And then we're frustrated because we think we, well, I thought I heard God, but where's God now? It's because there was a window of opportunity and an opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. So how do you know when you need to seize the opportunity? The answer is simple, but not necessarily easy for everybody because we want it to be done in a different way. But the truth, I'm just going to tell you the truth of how you know, and it's this, you need the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to listen to the voice of God. You have to tune your ear. You have to practice listening to the voice of God. You have to be around other people who listen to the voice of God, who can hear from God, and you've got to learn how they do that. You've got to be paying attention to how God wants to speak to you. If you think he's going to come always in an audible voice, you may be disappointed because he doesn't always do that. Now, if we look at the story here, and we see Boaz, how many of you guys know we talked about this, that Boaz in this story represents a type of Jesus Christ. He is a redeemer in the story, okay? If, if Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ, then we could also say that in this instance, Naomi is a type of the Holy Spirit because Naomi is acting as Ruth's guide, as Ruth's comforter, as Ruth's instruction giver, just like the Holy Spirit does for us. And so Naomi, a picture of the Holy Spirit, begins to give Ruth all of these instructions about tonight is the night. Go do this tonight. And Ruth had the appropriate response. She said, all that you say, I will do. Because there's usually an opportunity, a window of opportunity to act boldly. I'll give you just one quick example before we move on. A couple years ago, we had a, a big anniversary. I think it was our 20th anniversary. And, and a few months out, we didn't have any money saved up to do a big trip. You know, because everybody wants to do a big trip on their 20th or their 10th or whatever it is. And so we, we just didn't have a lot of money saved up. And so uh, we were trying to think about what we would do. And all of a sudden, I, I could hear God tell me, like, get your passport. And I was like passport. I don't have any money. And, and I've, we've never done a trip like that where we'd actually go out of the United States for something like that. We don't have any money. We don't have, you know, what, what are we going to, you know, what, what is, that just seems weird. But I, I knew I'd heard God say, get the passport. And so uh, I just kind of let that go. I'm like, well, passport, our, our passports were out of date. They cost a couple hundred bucks a piece. You know, it takes about six or eight weeks or whatever it does to get the passport back. And so I kind of just let that play out. I knew I'd heard God. But I knew I'm looking at what my resources, and I just thought, there's no way if I spend the money on the passports, then even what trip we could take was going to be dug into by the money for the passports. And so I didn't, I didn't do it, and I, and I just let time pass. And then all of a sudden, as we approached right up close to time, all of a sudden we had an unexpected amount of money drop in our lap to be able to take the trip. Of course, do you know where this is going? It was too late for me to get the passport, right? So we went ahead and we took a trip, but we didn't take a passport trip. We took a different trip and we had a great time, but it was not the trip we could have taken. 
Now, how many of you guys know that when God spoke to me and I knew God spoke to me, I should have, by faith, right then, bought a passport, not knowing how it was going to turn out, that my logical response, because again, how I approach God believes what I believe he is capable of, and I should have bought the passport right then and there and trusted that somehow it's going to come together. But I missed an opportunity because there was a window of opportunity for me to act boldly, even when it would have looked foolish on paper. And so I don't know what God has for you right now, but I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're in the window. Maybe you've passed the window. Maybe you're past the window and you're praying for another one. But just understand that there's a window of opportunity and we can choose to get by or we can choose to be bold. Number three, here we go. The only way to test your faith is to put it in the line of fire. Because you can say you have faith to act boldly with God all you want. You can tell everybody. You can act like it. You can worship God like crazy. You can do whatever you want. Read your Bible every day. You can go and do. You, you can say you want, but it's only measured when, you te- when your faith is tested. You, you, you see, the only way to test your faith is to actually put it on the line. It's to put it in the line of fire. See, I know a lot of people who say they act boldly or they have faith or they trust God or whatever, but, but they never are stepping into the line of fire. They're never putting themselves in a position where they need God to come through when they actually trust that, that it's not going to be their effort that saves them, but it's going to be the Redeemer that saves them. And so the only way to test your faith is to put it in the line of fire. Now, I have this illustration via video. Maybe you've seen this before, but I think this is a great illustration of what it's like. There's only one way to know if you really, really believe. Let's watch. I have here a pendulum. I have an object that weighs 15 kilograms, and I can lift it up one meter, which I have done now. That means I've done work. MGH is the work I have done, believe me. I've increased the potential energy of this object. 15 times 10 is about 150 joules. If I let it fall, then that will be converted to kinetic energy. If I would let it swing from one meter height, and you would be there and it would hit you, you'd be dead. 150 joules is enough to kill you. They use these devices, they're called a racquetball, They use them to demolish buildings. You lift up a very heavy object, even heavier than this, and then you let it go, you swing it, thereby converting gravitational potential energy into kinetic energy, and that way you can demolish a building. You just let it hit, and it breaks a building. And that's the whole idea of wrecking. So you are using then the conversion of gravitational potential energy to kinetic energy. Now, I am such a strong believer of the conservation of mechanical energy that I am willing to put my life on the line. If I release that bob from a certain height, then that bob can never come back to a point where the height is any larger. If I release it from this height and it swings, then when it reaches here, it could not be higher. There is a conversion from gravitational potential energy to kinetic energy back to gravitational potential energy and it will come to a stop here. And when it swings back, it should not be able to reach any higher. 
provided that I do not give this object an initial speed when I stand here. I trust the conservation of mechanical energy for 100 percent. I may not trust myself. I'm going to release this object and I hope I will be able to do it at zero speed so that when it comes back it may touch my chin but it may not crush my chin. I want you to be extremely quiet because this is no joke. If I don't succeed in giving it zero speed, then this will be my last lecture. <laughs> I will close my eyes, I don't want to see this. So please be very quiet. I almost didn't sleep all night. Three, two, one, zero. works and I'm still alive. It's pretty crazy, right? But here's a guy who trusts in this pendulum more than a lot of us trust in God. And, and so the only way to test your faith is when you're actually willing to put it in the line of fire and prove that what you said is actually what's real in your heart. And that's important. We see this, Ruth chapter 3, verse 5, and she replied, all that you say I will do. So Ruth's response to the voice of the Holy Spirit is, I'll do it all. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Listen to this. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. She said, he said, who are you? She answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth didn't question Naomi. She simply obeys this risky task. See, it's one thing to say that you'll obey and do anything until you're sitting there at midnight and you're sneaking in <laughs> and you're about, you're, how many of you guys have had those moments where you start to second guess, what am I doing? And so it's one thing to say that, but until midnight comes and you're actually there. It's one thing to say that you believe and trust God until God asks you to step out in a very big, big way. And when you're standing on the edge of that, that's when you know, will I step out or will I not? And even in the wondering of that is not when your faith is tested, it's when you take the step. That's when your faith actually gets measured. I heard this quote the other day. I don't have it on the screen for you, but listen carefully. God doesn't measure our maturity by how much we know. God measures our maturity by how much we obey. Let me say that again. God doesn't measure our maturity by how much we know. He measures our maturity by how much we obey. How mature are you? And many times the level God asks us to, the, to obey is the level that we've been trusted previously. And so if you look at your life and you don't see that God is asking you to do very many, many big things, look back and see how many big things he has asked you to do that you didn't do. That's not even in my notes. I don't know where that's coming from. We can choose to get by or we can choose to be bold. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is a land in your future that can only be taken by greater faith. 
There's a land in your future that can only take by being bolder than what you've been. And, and you get to choose whether you're going to go there or not. Now, we can say scriptures, and we've said it before, that God is doing a new thing. Behold, God is doing a new thing. How many of you guys believe that God does new things? All right, many of us say we believe God is doing a new thing. But I have to wonder if we really believe that God is doing a new thing. Because many times when I look at, 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 at what people are saying, it's really, well, I, re- I want to do the familiar thing. I don't want to do the new thing. I want to do the familiar thing. And what if God wants to, what if God doesn't want to use you the same way he did in the past? Are you willing to say that God is doing a new thing then? What if God wants to do something in your life that you haven't suspected coming and it makes you a little uncomfortable? Are you willing to say that God is doing a new thing then? What if God asks you to do something you've never done before? Are you willing to say God is doing a new thing now? You see, only those who have bold faith are willing to link their faith with a statement like that and say, God, anything, all you ask, I will do. See, because if it's familiar, it generally doesn't require faith. And she does something that's totally unfamiliar to her. And I'm just saying, if you, want, if you don't want to walk in the new, if you don't want to walk in the new, you might as well go back to Moab. Ruth might as well went back to Moab. If she got up to that point and she says, I, I don't want to go this far. She might as well went back to Moab where things were familiar. She might have went, went back. And, and listen, I'm not talking about locations here. I'm talking about in our heart. I'm talking about in what we say yes to Jesus. I'm talking about digging into our relationship with God in a brand new way. I'm talking about throwing away doubts. I'm talking about throwing away whining, complaining that we have before God about why things aren't happening the way we want them to in our life. Instead, we say, God, I'm, I just believe you're doing a new thing. And whatever that is, I'm willing to open up my heart to receive what you're doing in this new season. If you want to work on my heart for 15 years before this thing comes to pass, then do this new thing in my life. So many of us, we have, we have zero patience when it comes to God. Zero patience. We, we just think that, well, God's got to do this now just like I want it to. Instead of saying, God, whatever the new thing is, if this is a new season, I, just do it all. Do whatever you want to do. All that you ask. If you want me to step out in a bold way, I'm going to step out in a bold way. But you might as well go back to Moab. Because you know what Moab represents? Moab represents almost. In fact, one of the, to me, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible, I don't have this on the screen, uh, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is, uh, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Here it is. Verse 49. This is God talking to Moses. This is at the end of Moses' life. This is after he led the children out of Egypt. He was calling them to the promised land. They'd wandered around for 40 years. Go up to this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo. Listen to this, which is in the land of Moab. God tells Moses at the very end of his life to go up on a mountain in Moab, opposite Jericho. And listen to this, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for possession. He says, Moses, I want you to go up on the mountain in Moab, and I want you to look at what you could have had. And die on that mountain which you go, when you go up. 
and be gathered to your people. Because, verse 51, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel. Moab is almost. See, some of us are almost going to miss, or we're almost going to see what God wants to do in our life because we're not willing to let God do a deep work in our life. Some of us are going to be so close. We're going to be able to get up on the mountain. We're going to be able to see the promised land, but because we're not willing to be bold, we're not willing to have uh, the relationship that God, we're not willing to say, God, all that you want to do in me, do in me. And we resist against God. And we're going to be on the mountain of almost. And, and there's only one way to find out if you really have faith, and that's to simply to let God do all that he wants to do in your life. Now, one, one little, little story, when we were uh, looking around for a house, and we'd look for a long, long time, and long story short, we went through appraisal process, we went through the, the whole thing, and they turned us down on a bunch of stuff, it was just, but we felt like it was, it was for us, we felt like God had this for us, in fact, we kind of had a word from God that this was our house, and so we went out there, and this is probably illegal, um, but we went out there. Because we believed so much that this was our house that I went out there and I wrote my name on the house. I live in that house today. Let me just say, I live in that house. That's because I can say I believe God all day long, but it's when it comes down to our faith actually being tested that it really matters. For some of you guys, it's a big step. It's time for a big step. For others of you, it's to live joyfully in the season that God has for you. For some of us, it's simply to stand in the face of the wrecking ball and believe it's not going to smash us in the face. And God wants us to keep our feet planted on the solid rock. So I don't know what it is for you. It's going to be different for every single person. But, but what I'm saying is that, that God wants us to have bold faith in whatever it is for you that you stand in the face of the wrecking ball boldly and you trust the living God because you know he placed your feet right there and he's going to take care of you. Hebrews 4.16 again, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help of time of need, to help in time of need. Simple question, how are you approaching God? I'm going to have the worship team come back up at this time. One last thing. I heard this illustration, this picture a long time ago, and I think it's good to finish out with. There's this uh, African impala, which I have a picture of. It's a, it's a magnificent creature. It can jump to a height of over 10 feet, and it can jump a distance of over 30 feet. How do you guys wish you could do that, right? <laughs> jump 10 feet high, over 30 feet, but yet... They say it can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall because the African impala will not jump over a place where they cannot see their feet landing. So if they can't see where their feet will land, they will not jump. How many of you guys know where we're going with this? What little insignificant three-foot wall is holding you back from what God has for your life. Maybe it's simply forgiving someone. Maybe it's simply serving in a marriage. Maybe it's taking a, a risk of faith in some area of your life. Maybe it's in the area of giving that you know God's wanting you to give bold, but you just haven't got there yet. 
I don't know what it is for you. But surrender to Jesus is simply saying this, Jesus, I'll jump and I'll trust you with where my feet land. Let me say it again. Surrender to Jesus is saying, Jesus, I'll jump and I'll trust you with where my feet land. So can we stand up real quick and just give God some space to work on our heart? God, I just speak a Holy Spirit boldness to rise up on each and every person here. Holy Spirit, we need you to direct our steps, to direct our time, to to give us the instruction for what's next. And God, I pray for a holy courage to rise up in every single person, that we would be like Ruth. All of these things we will do as you ask. We surrender all to you and we trust you with where our feet will land. Lord, we just thank you for that. Do a deep work on the inside of each and every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time.